If you weren't with us last week, um, I talked about, I'm just going to continue talking about um, this topic of the Bride of Christ. And the question, or my, my, my title of my message is, Will You Marry Me? Sign Jesus. And we started uh, talking sort of over the last sort of four weeks about the macro plan of the Father. And I've been raising this issue that God has a macro plan for himself. And we've talked about that being that we would come to an intimate knowledge of him. That we wouldn't just know about him, but that we would actually know him and, and encounter him. And genuinely be able to say that I know, that I know, that I know, and I've met this person called Jesus, because I I love what someone came and shared with me last week. They said, you know, the truth that sets us free is a person. I love that. The truth that sets you free is a person. So do we know the person? We talked about the Bride of Christ, which is I'm unpacking. We've talked about this thing called the Millennial Reign of Christ, which is a thousand year reign, and then going to unpack the Kingdom of God and understanding, uh, coming to a, a, maybe a greater understanding of what the Kingdom of God is. And, uh, and so I'm just continuing on this pathway of unpacking the Bride of Christ. And so if you weren't with us or you've maybe missed some, some Sundays, can I just get you to go on, have a listen, maybe grab the CD and just start allowing it to get into your thinking um, because it is a journey that we're on. And, and so uh, I want us all sort of, if we, as best we can, be on that same page so we're understanding because what I'm going to share today, you really need to understand some of the context I shared last week to get the picture because God is painting a picture. He's an artist and he's painting this picture. He's a creator. And he's created a picture for the church to come into. And I can appreciate, you know, it can be a little bit weird. Um, I've been having these conversations with Danielle and, and she's been saying, you know, this, this bride of Christ, this marrying Jesus, just sounds a bit weird. Sounds a bit funny. And, you know, and especially for a bloke, a good Kiwi bloke, you know, that's beer and rugby and beer and rugby. <laughs> can be a little bit strange, can't it, guys? That well, I, I'm I'm the bride of Christ. I'm his bride. I've got to wear a skirt and you know maybe get myself ready. But it's in the Word of God. The Word of God talks about it, and so we need to talk about it, don't we? And just because maybe we haven't heard any teaching, or I know I certainly have it from a pulpit. I haven't heard the bride of Christ spoken from a pulpit, and I've been a Christian 13 years. But it's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God for a reason, a purpose, that we would come to understand the fullness of the picture that God is painting for you and me. Because as you've heard, He wants the very best for you and me. He has the very best for you and me. And His ultimate plan, His ultimate macro plan, has and always been centred in love, around love, in a relationship. Not really about doing a whole lot of things, mainly, but being. We're human beings, not human doings. Can we just love him for the sake of loving him and being in a relationship with him? Why? Because he's awesome. Or is it centered around, I have to do something because that's what Christians do. They do things. Now hear me, are we called to do certain things? Yes, we are through the relationship, but that's not the, 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 the centeredness of the relationship. 
It's love. He's trying to form love in us. Why? For a relationship. For a marriage. That we would be spotless and wrinkle free. Jesus wants to marry someone, a bride, that resembles himself. And this is what we've been unpacking. And so I love what Chris said. Chris said this as we were in prayer this morning. He said, God is birthing something from heaven. God is birthing something from heaven. So I want to start with a question. The question is, what is God looking for? What has God been looking for from the beginning of the foundation of the world? Ephesians 1.4. Go have a read of that scripture. We talked about that last week. That God had, before the fall of man, before there was ever a need, God had a purpose and a plan for his creation. And this is what I want to contend with, because I believe today, and I carry, I just believe I carry a strong conviction that God has been working in every generation since Adam and Eve with this clear purpose in mind to prepare an eternal companion from all men and women of faith who desire to walk in his will and please him. This, I believe, is the prophetic eternal purpose of God for the church, which is you and I. And so what I did, I mentioned last week that things like healing, things like feeding the poor, social justice, spiritual gifts, evangelism, miracles, all those things, they are very important and they are an essential part of being a follower of Christ. But the Bible says all these things will end at some point in time. Doesn't it? When you die. You can't reach out to anybody when you're dead. You're dead. Well, actually you're not dead. You're alive in him. But they end. Listen. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says, Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. So if those things are the centre of what we think the purpose of God is, he's saying those things will end. There is something beyond those things. Are those things the means that point us towards the end or are they an end in themselves? And I want to suggest to you today that they are a means that point us towards him. Healing isn't just that I just get a physical healing and great, live another 30 years and then I die. What would be the point of that if that was all the purpose of healing was? Healing, if I know him, if I don't know him, let's maybe if I don't know him, would be the fact that, oh my goodness, a supernatural act just happened, my arm that was broken is now healed. Who did that? I know it wasn't me. And I know it wasn't the person that maybe prayed for me. Who is this God that you know? And it points people towards him. Jesus said, come follow me. Where are we going? On a journey to reveal, to show you my father and my father's plans. Hope you're up for today. Oh, here we go. God goes to extreme lengths, I believe, in this passage to communicate something to us. When we make these things the ultimate purpose of God, there is a good chance we will overemphasize these areas in our lives and we won't be preparing ourselves or making ourselves ready for our ultimate purpose. You see, the enemy's plan is to get us overemphasizing truth. 
he can get you overemphasizing truth, do you know what? You're out of balance. You sit on this side and you're out of balance and God is trying to straighten you out. If you overemphasize, I've done this before, but the overemphasis on the things of the Spirit without the truth, without the Word of God can get you in a little bit of weirdness. If you overemphasize the truth, you know, it's dry, there's no life on it. And he tries to get you a degree off because over a degree off, over time, you're now 20 degrees off and now you're really no good to anybody. Anything of value, he will try and counterfeit. It's what we do with money. Think about it. Anything of value, he tries to come and tries to counterfeit it. Did God really say? And we mentioned this last week. He came to the woman, not the man. It was the man that God spoke to, not the woman directly. So where does he come? He comes in round the back door. Hey Eve, did God really say that? And you know what? Eve then adds something that God never said. <laughs> well, they might need a bit of marriage counselling after that. I didn't hear it, but it sounded good. I lost my train of thought now. <laughs> but if we overemphasize these things, we can miss the macro purpose of God. And that's what we're looking at today. That's why the development and the formation of love in our hearts is more important than these other attributes. Because first and foremost, God from the beginning of time is looking for a bride whose heart is wholeheartedly given to him. And through his love, a bride who will submit to his way. A bride that will be led by the Spirit and do Spirit-led works, not just any works, fulfilling his will on earth. And I'm going to take that Ephesians passage and teach from a perspective of, in Ephesians 5, that this, this, this covenant that God has put in place, a man would love his wife as Christ loves and a woman would submit. And Paul says, I'm not talking about, I'm actually really talking about the mystery between Christ and his church. It's a mystery. And I want to unpack this mystery. And we're going to look at that because there's a, a greater purpose than I've ever discovered. But come with me to Revelation 19, 7-8 because we're going to look at this whole thing of what does it mean to be made, that the bride has, has made herself ready. So Revelation 19, 7 to 8. So I want to encourage you to keep bringing your Bibles and allowing it to speak through you and to you. And okay, Revelation 19, 7 to 8 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made, everyone say has made, herself ready. Say ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We are to be making ourselves ready now for our wedding day and our marriage with Christ. I shared this last week, I talked about and I related it to and I asked Danielle to marry me. And I said she was a pretty tough fish to catch. Had a whole lot, a whole lot of reel and a whole lot of different bait and I asked her twice to marry me and it was a bit of a, 
Looking back, it wasn't fun at the time, but (laughs) we can laugh at it now. But it says here, the bride is making herself ready. And when we finally got that nailed down that we were going to get married, Danielle went into preparation mode to start making herself ready for the day. She went so well, she was 50 minutes late on the day. I was like, man, Janine, can anyone beat that? 50 minutes I was waiting for her. I was like, man, what's she doing? It didn't help the fact that we were getting married at Patuanui and at the time she was right at the back of um, Island Bay there and it was at 3 o'clock right in the middle of all the traffic. But 50 minutes, I was like, that's a bit extreme. But she was making herself ready. She was preparing. She was thinking about the day. She wanted, I guess, to present herself in a manner that would be pleasing to me. And she certainly did. She looked hot, I tell you. <laughs> but I want to read some things out because this is what goes into, we pulled this off the net. Listen to this. I'm just going to really talk real fast. I won't talk about everything, but 6 to 12 months before the big day. Here we go. Decide on a date. Make an appointment with the clergyman. <laughs> Compose a guest list. Set the time. Location of ceremony. Rehearsal. Reception. Venue. Choose professional photographer. Video, videographer. DJ. Shop for wedding gowns. Several fittings will be required. Obtain floral and music estimates. Book services if possible. Register with gift registries. Select bridesmaids. Pick a honeymoon destination. Begin selection of a caterer. Set a date to order dresses for bridesmaids. That's between 6 and 12 months. Five months before the big day. Finalise guest list. Order invitations and announcements. Order personal stationery and thank you notes. Plan reception. Choose florist. Men, choose attire. Make honeymoon plans. <laughs> choose caterer. Confirm delivery of bride gown. Make an appointment for bridal portrait. Ordering wedding cake and groom's cake. Do you want me to continue? <laughs> it goes two months, one month, two weeks, one week, one day, wedding day. Finish. This is the level of preparation we go into as people to marry a person. Now, question. What do we notice about this list? What? It's all for the bride? Not quite that, but it is. (laughs) All about a day? The bride put it together? <laughs> Thank you. They are all external things. Let's have a look. The word ready in Revelation nineteen seven to eight refers to an internal fitness rather than an external one. We also see this word ready being used in the parable of the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to return. Matthew 25.10 says this, And while they were going away to make the purchase, which is they were going to purchase oil, because they'd run out of oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Interesting, isn't it? The word ready means an internal fitness. When we read Revelation 19, 7, 8, there's a question that I think, I know when I read it, I started contending, I started asking the Spirit questions about what I'm reading. And the question is this, what does it mean to be made ready 
So we are given a fine linen garment to clothe ourselves in. Because that's what happens, it says to this, this bridegroom, that she's made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in a fine linen garment. Well, the first thing we need to tackle, we need to understand that there are two garments that the scripture speaks about. And this is what I touch on, I'll start on this garment thing and then I want to go back to making herself ready. So the first garment is the garment of salvation, which Isaiah speaks about, and then there is a garment of fine linen that we are to clothe ourselves in. Number one, garment of salvation. Isaiah 61.10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, my soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me, you like that, wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is the garment that we all receive when we accept Christ into our lives. It's what Ingrid was pretty much just speaking about. We are made righteous. We receive his garment of salvation, of righteousness. We put it on. It's his righteousness that's put on to us. It's what gets you into heaven. It's what he did on the cross. King James says this, he's covered me with his robe of righteousness. This robe is our justified position. Are you with me? It's our justified position. Put another way, I can stand before God because I have been made right by Him, by what He did. And I love this saying, I heard it at fight and I'm going to nick it, it said, just as if I've never sinned. Justified, justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Then we put it on, we invite Him in and we believe that by faith, that I'm now made whole and righteous in you. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I cannot lose that. I cannot, the, the enemy cannot rob what Jesus did on the cross. And we talked about this last week, but he can rob your inheritance. And we looked at that. He said he attacks the mind. He comes to the mind and tries to paint pictures and get you believing different things. Okay, so we've established that the first one is the garment of salvation. What he did for you and me gets us into the door. I love what Brooks said, gets you in. But there are many rooms. We need to move from the porch into the house. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter. He said, but you must be born of water and the Spirit to see. Sorry, you must be born of, born of the Spirit to see it. You must be born of the water and the Spirit to enter it. What does that mean? Where's the kingdom of God? What really he's trying to say is that if you actually want to move into the fullness of the kingdom, which is an internal thing first, you must die to yourself. You must learn to lay your will down the way you think, the way you feel, and your will, which is so powerful, which is what we've all been poisoned with, which is I, I, I. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? 
See, the kingdom is within you. We're going to look at this. I won't go further because I don't want to get off the track and I may confuse you a bit. Okay, so the second garment is of fine linen, Revelation 19.8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What is this garment of fine linen? It is the righteous acts of the saints. These are the works of godliness or the deeds of righteousness, spirit-led works that the Holy Spirit wants to do where? In us, firstly. See, it's an internal thing. The kingdom of God is where? It's in you. Kingdom, will you allow my domain, my rulership, my way, will you allow that in you? And then allow it to flow out of you to others. We're so focused on God coming through us, not so much in us. Why? Because allowing God to do work in you is a completely different story than just laying your hands on somebody and saying, be healed. And the Bible teaches there are people that laid hands on people, they prophesied, they called him Lord, and they didn't enter the kingdom of heaven, which has nothing to do with the place heaven. And we don't have time today, but I'm going to unpack that. Okay? So it's the kingdom of God is something that's within you. And it's to come out of you through you, firstly. Peter, uh, Paul, sorry, said, he said, Galatians 2.20, the life I live, I no longer live in the flesh. I've died. Baptism, I died. And the life that comes forth now by the Spirit, not works, by the Spirit, is Spirit-led works, internal and external. Simplify it down. God, am I intimate with you that I can hear your voice? And then am I obeying that voice with the work you want to do in me? He wants to form him in you. He wants to form himself. So we what? Become. We become the very thing. Two Peter talks about the reason we have these promises is that we can partake of a divine nature. We have our human nature, don't we? I've used as an excuse, you know, oh, well, that's just who I am. That's me. That's Greg. Oh, that little personality trip. Well, that's just me. That's how I react. But I have the divine nature living within me. I have God in me. And Peter says, I've given you these promises that you would activate them by faith and the divine nature would come forth. Christ in you would come forth. Christ in me is the hope of the world. What does that mean? It means I take your word by faith and I allow it to start forming in me. My words are spirit and they are life. We are to become love, guys. Not just, we're the source. It, it, the source of love is in here, isn't it? He's forming, he wants to form us. See, the church is great at information. We're not that great at allowing that information to start to take shape and form us. So, when Kirk literally comes up, or I come up to Kirk, and we have an offence, there's a choice that's made, and love comes forth. Not a right hand. 
if my people would love one another as I have loved, a world would see something and they would know that I have come for them. Because there is this tangible, it's not us, it's the love of God in us that they see. It's living, it's alive. The truth that sets you free is a person. Listen to the words of Galatians 4.19. My children, with whom I am again in labour, this is Paul, until Christ is formed in you. Okay, so we've talked about these righteous acts that Revelation talks about, these righteous works, okay, spirit-led works. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. These are the works that this, the Bible is talking about. Spirit-led works. God has. God's ordained works for us to do. But we must be intimate with him to hear his voice and then operate, not just anything, but spirit-led stuff. The righteous acts of the saints is what this fine linen of clothing is. These are the works that we will be judged for at the judgment seat of Christ. Once again, there's another truth I have not heard preached from a pulpit. The judgment seat of Christ for the church. Not for the lost, for the church. Okay, so I'm going to just quickly unpack some of that. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man or woman's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet as though through a fire. This judgment has nothing to do with our eternal destination, but everything to do with rewards in the future. And you need to hear me. This judgment, it has nothing to do, we are justified, just as if we had never sinned. It's nothing to do with whether I'm going to heaven or hell or not, but everything to do with a reward. It's everything to do with the reward in the future. It's the judgment of our works or acts in our lives. What have we done? I've paid the penalty. I've paid the price. What have you now done with your life? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You must remain in me to be able to do anything of fruit and worth. I mean, I can do a whole lot of stuff, can't I? And have been, but is that of him? Or has that been of me? Are you understand where I'm, where I'm trying to go? I'm just going to read this. It's a judgment on how we have built our lives and on what elements we have built them since we received Christ. And those who have built on gold, silver and precious stones, which are symbolic of spirit-led works, which as we have discussed, um, are internal. So these works are internal and they are external. 
It's a working kingdom of God is within you. He's trying to form himself in you. Dying to myself, the way I think, the way I feel. All those things. These people receive a reward. Now I want us to come back to Revelation 19.8 because it says this, the bright, clean, fine linen garment that the bride receives is the righteous acts or works of the saints. The man who built his life on wood, hay, straw, received no reward because his works were burnt up and he suffered loss, but he was still saved. Why? Because he had the garment of salvation on. It's not a salvation, am I saved or not? It's a reward issue. There are many rooms in my father's house. Am I going into and experience everything God has for me? What on earth are you saying, Greg? <laughs> Anyone asking themselves that question right now? What on earth are you talking about? Here you go. I believe the person who builds their life on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver and precious stones, spirit-led works, which once again are internal and external, will be given a fine linen garment to wear and the person who is building on wood, hay and straw will not. Jesus said, it's those who do the will of my Father who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we know the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about the place heaven. Now once again, I don't have time to unpack that, but I'm going to unpack that as we go forward. And we're also going to look at a man in Matthew 22 who finds himself at a wedding. And he gets removed from the wedding ceremony because he doesn't have the right clothes on. But he's called friend. Go over and read Matthew 22. It's fascinating. You see, we can pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, can't we? Do we actually know what we're praying? <laughs> Do you know what you're actually saying? I mean, we sing these songs every week. Do a work in my heart. Transform me from the inside out. I want to come into the Holy of Holies. And that's cool, and he, by what he did on the cross. But we talk about, we sing songs about internal, external transformation, and then we go away and continue like, oh, that was a nice song. What are we praying when we say, your kingdom come, where's the kingdom? Your will be done on earth. As it is, that's what we're really firstly saying. If the kingdom of God is within you, you're praying his kingdom, his dominion, his rulership, his purity, holiness in you. Defy me. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life, didn't he? When you say, Jesus, come into my world, you are inviting all of truth to come and live within you. And he does that but now he says, now I want out. I don't want to just leave you where you are. I've come to transform the whole person, the whole being, that you would reflect me. And he actually puts places and situations where that love, because he is love, can actually come forth. That's why he said, you know what, if you would love one another, 
I said this before, I think I'm now, I would never have said this, I'm now, this is the greatest evangelism strategy for the church. People are looking for love. They don't give a rip about Jesus at the moment, they're looking for love. I've repented of this, I've had to change. It was way easier to go preach the gospel. It was to love people, his church. But it's actually his way. And I had to die to my way through a process of transformation and seeing it in the spirit and going, love. This is what, when we pray this prayer, okay, this is what I believe this is what we're saying. God, let your truth and life transform my life from the inside out so I can be transformed into your likeness and have an impact here on earth where I am being led by you and being obedient to you, spirit-led, where I am a vessel, a conduit that you will flow in and through, releasing heaven's realities to earth just like your son did. You see, the, the teachings on the Sermon of the Mount are all about the internal. Not one bit does it say, go lay hands on the sick, preach the gospel. Are we called to do that? Yes, we are. So hear what I'm saying. I'm always going to be preaching. It's in two parts. The nature is an internal thing. The works are external. Plenty of people were attracted to his works. Not too few wanted his nature. Hey guys, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means you know who you are not. It means that you know it's all about him. It means that for the, for the grace of God, I would be going to a place that's away from him. I'm really a bit of poop on someone's shoe. I am humbled. I am a nobody. Without you, life doesn't make any sort of sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus, it's all about you. It's always been about you. Now he then saves you and says, right, you're now my son or daughter. Now start to understand that you're not that, you're this and me. And walk in that. Absolute biblical humility is the most powerful looking thing that you can put your eyes on. It's not some pathetic little person that's a doormat. It's like Christ. All the meekness could have jumped off the cross and dealt to a whole lot of people, but didn't. Why? Because he was holding it back. Why? Because it was about the will of the Father being done, not his will. You can be justified and not live that type of life. Because you want your will. It's about me. It's about me still. I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? It's still about me. And it's not supposed to be. The fine linen garment that is given to the bride is about those that will allow these spirit-led works which are inward and external. So what does it mean when it says the bride has made herself ready? Now notice it doesn't say the bride is making herself ready. It says she has made herself ready. Danielle was ready on the day. It says that this Jesus Christ is returning and we are to be watchful and understand the days in which we live and that we are to be ready for that day. 
we're going to unpack the whole Jewish wedding model. There's so much, guys, on this. I've just never seen it, and it's huge. Okay, if you grab it. We have to settle this issue in our minds and our theology because the Bible says that good works are not enough for me to be justified. So it might just sound it's confusing. It did to me when I read it. Um, let's agree that good works are not enough for me to be saved, correct? There is nothing I can do to be saved. I can't make myself ready. I can't do anything to be justified, to be saved. We agree with that? Justified means to be declared not guilty before God, to be acquitted, to render just, innocent or righteous. It means just as if I'd never sinned. The Bible says it is by grace through faith I'm justified, not doing works. Nothing I can do but accept this offer of grace through faith. Cool. But then it says the bride has made herself ready. So the bride has made herself ready. The bride has had to do something in making herself ready for her wedding day. I'm saying just because we are born again, just as if we had never sinned, this doesn't mean we are automatically the bride of Christ. And this is where we see the word sanctification come into play. Sanctification, sorry, justification, sanctification, glorification which the Bible speaks about. So I want to just quickly look at that. The word sanctification simply means separated unto God. It means to become clean, holy and righteous in all we think, say and do. It is about our mind, our will, our emotions, which as we know, which is our soul, dying and submitting themselves to his thinking, his will and his truth. The sanctification of these three areas is a lifelong process. It's not about being perfect. It's about being faithful and obedient and persevering. It's about overcoming the obstacles that we face. It says the overcomers will inherit and there are a whole lot of rewards or promises to the church. The sanctification process I personally believe and I carry conviction of is our bridal preparation and this produces the fine linen garment. What did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life life that I now live, I live in the spirit and I live it by faith in you. What does that mean? It means when... We are confronted, this is why we need to know what's in here. When we are confronted with a, with a truth that is opposite, because Jesus said, I am from another kingdom, didn't he, to Pilate? He said, if I was from your kingdom, my mate now would run over and he'd probably help me out. But I'm not, I'm actually from another kingdom. There's another set of rules, guidelines, the way things operate. It's radically different from your one. And what's supposed to happen, and I, be easy, but God's not into the easy, but it would be easy, wouldn't it? Imagine if what happened is, as soon as you acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour, you get justified, he comes in and takes the chip out from the kingdom of the world which is within you 
and throws it away and installs his chip of kingdom. So then you think like him, you act like him, you speak like him. When people offend you, love, grace, mercy genuinely comes forth instead of conviction and judgment and pointing fingers. I'm speaking to myself. And so that would be beautiful, wouldn't it? Man, would the church be radiant and spotless if that was the case. But God's looking for something from when you make a decision to follow him and he's looking to see a people that are separated from some others. Who's genuinely now laying their lives down? Who is genuinely fulfilling my will? Because my, those that fulfill my will, will that don't fulfill my will, won't enter the kingdom of heaven. This, not that place. He's looking. Who genuinely is allowing my son to be formed in them? Loving like my son. Can you imagine one person that was like that? Imagine one person like Christ. Fully like him. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not, we're still sinners. But allowing truth to come forth by the Spirit. Now imagine 500 people like that. You start, you are the light of the world. Brooke talked about, it ain't a building. This place will never be a light on the world until, now once again, we are the light of the world, but there's a work that has to be done. It's a two-part process. You're justified, now move forward into this just sanctification process. I'm dead, allow me to come forth. How do you do that? You're basically choosing truth over feeling. What is the will of my life that you have, God? It's this. Will you lay your life down and serve that? And your nature. Will you allow my nature to be formed in you? And Paul said, yeah, I'm struggling. Paul said, you know, there's everything I want to do, can't seem to get to, and there's this battle going on. He said, but you know what? I've seen something in an eternal perspective and I'm moving towards it. And he said, I'm, I'm running in a type of way, I'm disciplined, because I know that it's the one who disciplines and runs in this way through love that, that gets this reward, this, this inheritance. Now I want to read you a prophetic word that came through um, about three Friday mornings ago by Deb uh, Boyd, who's one of our elders here, and she just said this. And I haven't really, I, I mean, I, I've shared obviously with the elders, but, but this, this was just profound. It said this, said a um, Colossians, but then she put flesh to it. If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds and keep them set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. And here we go. God showed me, this was a vision she had, God showed me a picture of a new bolt of fabric being cut to make a brand new garment. He was clearly saying this was being made from new, as you couldn't buy it already made or off the shelf. It was being created brand new for us as individuals and us as the rock corporate body. 
The other important part of the message was that because it is a garment, we need to choose to wear it or put it on. Just as our own clothes don't jump off the hanger and onto our bodies, neither will this garment. We have to choose to wear it. Then he showed me Colossians 3.12, Clothe yourselves before as God's own chosen ones who are purified and holy and well-beloved by God himself, tender-hearted, pity and mercy, kind feeling, a lowly opinion of yourselves, gentle ways and patient, which is tireless and long-suffering and has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Be gentle and forbearing with one another and one, sorry, if one has a difference, a grievance or complaint against another, readily pardoning each other, even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love and enfold yourselves with the bond of perfectness which binds everything together completely in harmony. We must choose as individuals and as a body to put on this new garment that God has prepared for us. not about being perfect but someone because of their love for Christ who is being faithful, obedient, perseveres to the end overcoming the obstacles we face by his spirit, power that lives within and faith in his word. This is the process that makes us ready and creates the fine linen garment. As we engage in this process his agape love is formed in us. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm justification. I am the truth. Sanctification. And I am the life. Glorification. It's a process. You see, who we are becoming and everything we do is motivated and accomplished through his direction, not our own, which is forming us into his image. God is looking for a bride for his son that reflects his son's image. A bride with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. Ephesians 5.27 I'm justified, just as if I've never sinned. Thank you for that. Born again, I can see it. But I need to walk and allow you. I die, you come forth. John said, Father, I must decrease, you must increase. Through the Spirit. Not through works, human works, not through, oh, I have to... That's why he said it the way he said it. God, you must increase. It's always about I'm turning to him. And if I turn to you, I become small. As I allow your word, Father, to engage with my heart, 
And as I allow your word to start to define my life, as I'm obedient to that word, God in us, Greg starts getting smaller. It's a journey of the Spirit. The man of the flesh can't understand the things of the Spirit, the Bible says. You see, the parable of the sower, if you look at that, it's four environments. And Jesus says, if you don't get this parable, if you don't understand this one, how are you going to understand the other ones? It's a parable of the kingdom. Now we know the kingdom of God is within us. There are three hearts that struggle, don't they? There's one that produces the fruit out of the three. It's here. Allowing the word. It's a spirit. We're, not, we're, we're people of the spirit. We're called to be people of the spirit. Father, show me, reveal it to me. I can't do this. I, you can't do this on your own. You can't just go, oh, read this. It'll ha- reveal it to me. A man can only receive what the Father shows him from heaven. That's what John the Baptist said. Show me. Make it living in me. Make it alive. I've been a Christian for 25 years and I'm, it, it's, I don't know, it's dry. It's, it's like I'm going through the process, just going through the thing. I turn up, but nothing's changing. Maybe that's some of us today. I don't know. But it's to be a living, breathing relationship where, you know what? You sing about him. You can't stop talking about him. You're compelled to just engage with people. Do you know this Jesus I met? Man, he's changing my life. He's transforming me. I'm a different person than what I was 12 months ago. I don't struggle with X, Y and Z like I used to. Why? Because I've actually taken the word of God, the truth, the absolute truth, and I've allowed it to come into my heart. And I've allowed that to start to shape my heart. And I've overcome those things through his power and his spirit that is at work within me. That is good news. And that is available to every single person that is a follower, a disciple of Christ. Spirit-led stuff happening, producing in me. Because it's not literally, I'm not talking about literal garments you're going to put on. It's producing something in me that is making me radiant, spotless and blameless. Father, I just pray, God, I pray today Lord, and I just ask you, Lord, via your Holy Spirit, to just reveal to us, Lord, reveal to our hearts the fullness of what you're calling us towards. Reveal it to us, Lord, via your Spirit. I pray, Lord, today that, that, that we as a community would, would, would journey with this together. Lord, that we, we would take the time to seek you. We would take the time to make it a priority to seek you and to let the things that so easily entangle, Lord, the things that want to rob us, the things that make us busy, the things that prevent us from getting to seeking you. I pray, Lord, that we would kill those things. We would put some, um, I don't know, Lord, just, just some things that we would, we would 
Make the time to seek you and that you would reveal to our hearts firstly, then our minds, the fullness of what people have heard today. I pray for transformation, transformation of a heart, the formation of truth in our hearts. That although we are the light of the world positionally, God, we would walk in and experience that. That we would, Ingrid used the word fire today, that we would be fire in Cambodia because the Spirit of God that lies within us is roaring and is ablaze. Father, I pray if there's any confusion today, I pray against the Spirit of if there's anything that's trying to confuse us, I pray for clarity. I pray that we would contend for things that maybe we don't understand together in our life groups and in our groups that meet. I pray that we would ask questions. We would seek. Father, the way you taught was to ask questions, to speak in parables and to repeat. says God that kings you, you conceal matters in your word you, can, you, you, you conceal them that, that a king so you conceal it for us that a king would go looking a priest a disciple Lord I ask you bring transformation into our hearts today, into my heart today. And as we love on one another, and as we passionately go in this direction of knowing you and loving others and walking together, I pray that we would all choose to put on love. We would make a choice to put it on, which is the bond of true unity.